The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. Workers at all levels, in every kind of organizations, need more support. This is something I believe in wholeheartedly. It's a hill I would die on. And that support can come in all kinds of forms, through formal HR structures, from your boss, colleagues, or when you just need a day off. We're going to talk today about two other channels of support, especially when it comes to your mental health at work, therapy and coaching. They're different, of course, but our guest today is someone who knows a lot about both from his clients and his own personal life. Dr. Chris Bittinger is an assistant professor at Purdue University, an executive coach, and the founder of consultancy Open Pivot. Chris is particularly interested in and helpful about dealing with burnout and breakdowns at the leadership level. We'll speak about his own experience with these things as well. I thought it was particularly timely to talk about this because of a statistic I saw recently. A survey from Challenger, Gray and Christmas, found over 1,400 CEOs have left their jobs so far this year. That's up almost 50% from the same period last year. And I can't help but wonder if burnout might be playing at least some part of that. And that's just a study of CEOs. doesn't include other leadership positions. So with Chris, I wanted to start by talking about why he became so interested in burnout and breakdowns at the executive level in the first place. How did you get interested in leaders and executives particularly who are experiencing burnout? Yes, well, I was thinking about this. I think it's a, you know, everything comes from my story, but I think there was a point in my career before I started coaching. I was in consulting with a boutique consulting firm here. I was in an executive position myself and I started feeling very stressed out and burned out and lost. And I met one-to-one with a coach and I just found it so helpful to process through my challenges, to get some feedback, to explore options. And just that one-to-one dialogue, I felt very supported by my coach. And I thought, ah, maybe one day I'll go and do this. (laughs) And I think even further back, I know we'll talk about my story, but there were leaders in my story that had a great opportunity to inspire and support me. Mm-hmm. And some of them did, and some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, coaching is really a great tool, I think, to help leaders be really effective and influence for the best and mm-hmm. inspire. So that was the spark. I mean, it was that moment, I think, when I was in that executive role. I thought, I, I want to do this because I've been burned out too. <laughs> uh, you know, I've gone through it, I think, at least three times. Were you in therapy at the time? Yes. So I was. There was a moment in college where I was sitting around with some friends and I started unpacking some things that had happened in my story. And I realized then like, 
And through their help, they were like, you probably need some therapy to work through some of these. And now I know they're called adverse childhood experiences. At the time, I just thought these were some really awful things that happened and I need to go mm. talk. I need to go talk to somebody. So that's really continued. I've actually been seeing a therapist every Friday at three, uh, most every <laughs> Friday at three, just still processing through those things. So, yeah. But did you feel like coaching gave you something that therapy didn't and vice versa? I think a lot of people are often curious, like, do I need coaching or therapy or both or neither, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I do think therapy, dealing with something like an adverse childhood experience, a diagnosis of like depression or I think chronic anxiety or obsessive compulsive, which I realized I had several of those things mm -hmm. uh, I needed therapy for to, to work on the mental health stuff. But coaching was really about helping me be successful in reaching goals in my career or in my life or as a leader at work and have some structure to some goal setting, which was a little different than therapy. I think therapy was helping me navigate and understand all these things that had happened. And then the commitments that I made as a result of those, and those were actually informing how I was leading. And then I could bring those to my coach and say, let's work on some tangible behavioral things to be a better leader. So yeah, there's some overlap, but there's some distinct purposes too, I think, to therapy and coaching. Yeah, definitely a, a mental health professional would say, if you're struggling, go to therapy, mm -hmm. right? Get treatment. But I think for a lot of people who've been in therapy and who are being treated, it seems like coaching is sort of the applied, <laughs> it's mm. the applied part, you know, and it's the solely often work focused part. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it, Maura. It's, it is applied, it's practical, you know, sort of goal setting, there's accountability, you know, there's all kinds of, sometimes there's an organizational goal that's attached to it. We'd like to see you become this so we can get you here. Yep. So yeah, absolutely. That's a great way of saying it. Let's dive into burnout for a little bit. I mean, burnout is, <laughs> as my as my guest Daisy Oje Dominguez said, people aren't burnt out; they're burnt crispy right now. And, <laughs> yes, um, burnt crispy. Yes, burnt crispy. But I want to uh. I want to talk about burnout. But I also want to talk about if you've ever had clients who who had burnout, but but also had depression, because mm. there's some overlap there. And burnout is something we're really comfortable talking about, but we're super not comfortable talking about depression. So. I want to touch on that. But first, if you could just, in your view and from the research, what causes burnout? Yeah, that's great. I think often my clients will come to me and say they're burned out and it may be they're just stressed. Mm. So that's different. We need to use an instrument to clarify if they're burned out. We use the Maslach Burnout Inventory. It's reliable. We can determine it. It's caused by several things, unrelenting job demands. And I think it's important too, Maura, to think about this in the individual side causes and organizational side. So with the individual, it could be anything from poor sleep to bad nutrition to lack of boundaries to, you know, not exercising, those things can contribute. Mm -hmm. But really environmental factors are really 
I think came to light in my, my research. When you think about an organization putting unrelenting job demands on an employee or leader, not providing a place for community and strong relationships, lack of recognition, unfair environment. When you mix all that in, you have this perfect sort of stew of, pot <laughs> of potential burnout. So it's funny. It's, you know, even in therapy, my therapist will say it's never just one thing. Yeah. I think with burnout, it's similar. I think it's, it's similar. There's never just one thing. It's usually a combination. At least I found that with my clients. I think one of my quotes I'll always remember from a past guest, Steve Cuss, who said, burnout is never just about workload. Mm, yes, it's true. It's never just that. Because there could be on the individual side that, okay, the person's struggling to set boundaries or they're struggling with communicating with their boss that mm -hmm. I am burned out. I want to go back to what you said about they might be stressed out but not burnt out. Mm. And where's the distinction there? Yeah. So, in, you know, in my study, you know, executives in my study, I interviewed 35 and we asked them to score their stress on a one to 10. And they were, most of them were high to moderate to high stress, but only 11% were burned out. So stress is, you know, our response to external sort of pressure, the things that happen to us. And you can be in a place of stress for a season. It doesn't mean you'll just burn out. So that's different. Burnout is like a period of time where you now are emotionally exhausted you become cynical about your work. You're like, ah, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, or you're no longer effective in what you do. You begin to see that. So they are distinct. And I think that's important. But, you know, I've seen where some executives will say, yeah, I'm burned out. And it's like, well, you know, this could just be a season of stress. Let's help you kind of find coping skills to navigate it. Uh, and then, okay. If it keeps going and you show some other signs, then let's let's do the Maslach burnout inventory and find out. I think it's yeah. a good it's a good tool. One of my clients does a Maslach at the beginning of the year on everyone, and they get a score, and then they design interventions or mm -hmm. support mechanisms to see if we can attack or address the areas that are causing the burnout. So it's actually I think a great practice for organizations. Like use. a benchmark too, yeah. It is, and then you do it at the end and see, hey, do our interventions even work? Because you know we're still not <laughs> we're not quite sure what all works. I mean, mindfulness is I think helpful. There's never mm -hmm. just one thing. Back to that, right? There's lots right. of things we need to do, Mora. Something I get asked to define a lot is the difference between stress and anxiety and burnout. Mm. You want to take a stab? Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> oh, stress, anxiety. And burnout. And let's throw overwhelm in there too, just Ooh, for fun. <laughs> overwhelm. Okay. I'm taking notes. I'm writing these down. Stress, overwhelm. It's yeah. just like a soup. It's a yes, soup. It is a soup. Yeah. Let's start with anxiety. You know, for me, I'll just speak from experience. Like anxiety is when I'm up at three in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about what's ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, and I'm also worried about what's happened in the past and I'm dwelling on it. That to me is anxiety. And uh, anxiety is when I go away from the present moment. Right. And I start right. catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. And that's my three in the morning, Chris. And sometimes during the day, for sure, of course. Stress is when I'm under a deadline. I'm responding to something. I got to get this done. 
and some of that's good, right? It's keeping me going. I'm getting ready for a, a class I'm about to teach and I'm feeling the stress of that preparation, but I'm in the moment. So I'm not necessarily anxious. I think that's really important, right? Mm. Is, you know, I'm in the moment, it's external and it's going to end soon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, that could also be good in anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. I'm anticipating. I'm a little bit nervous. Will they like me? Will I be good enough? But it's motivating me and I'm going to be done with it soon. Yeah, that's good, Maura. And I would add to your quiz here, anticipation. <laughs> anticipation isn't necessarily anxiety. It could be I'm anticipating something that's coming and I'm getting ready for it. Um, I could even be excited, but I may not be anxious. You know, it's taking me out of the moment. So that's a little different. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. So we've got stress. We've got anxiety. Overwhelm. You mentioned overwhelm. Yes. Yes. Just flooded. I think of overwhelm as I'm flooded with stimuli, flooded with all that has to be done, and I just can't focus. Yeah, that's definitely overwhelming. You know, I will talk about my story a little bit with ADHD. Overwhelm, that comes in a lot for me, just overstimulated, like my phone's buzzing, I've got a student in my office, or I'm thinking about a client thing. Overwhelm. (laughs) Yeah, overwhelm. Yeah. How do you define it? I would define it as the same. I mean, yeah. I do think it's it's the flooding piece that's really important. Mm-hmm. I see it like as your executive function on meltdown. And I'm a person with like extraordinarily high executive function, mm. but there are those times and I don't have ADHD, but like mm. it's, I just, it's, it's like a plant melting down with the noise. Mm. <laughs> and I just am like a yes. puddle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a good metaphor. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A lot of my clients will just talk about like, I can't move. Like, I yeah. don't, I don't know what step to take. It's so much. Yeah. So much. What do you do? What actually curious as also as an ADHD person, like when mm. you're in that moment, what works for you to help you uh, move? Yes. Okay. So, you know, diagnosed at age five, my journey with this was we've got to fix Chris. Like he's a problem to be solved. And I say that. And I also say I was a problem to be solved and not a person to be embraced. Mm. That was the message. I know that my parents wouldn't say that or teachers would like they embraced me. They, they love me. My parents love me dearly. But I think when you were trying to solve something, we don't sort of embrace their personhood. Like mm-hmm. this is part of who I am. So I do see ADHD as a, a tool. I can hyper-focus. I can listen. I think ADHD, a lot, people often care deeply mm-hmm. about others. And I care deeply about others. So I've seen that. But when I am struggling, it's a good run. And that's a daily ritual for me. Mm. I have to get out that extra energy. I am super rigid with my sleep hygiene. Bed early, up early, up at the same time. So, yeah. But when that happens, and sometimes I'll just, I need to pick up a phone and call a friend. Say, okay, I'm overwhelmed with like 10 things. Can you help me get off the dime here and what I should do next? Yeah. So that's kind of, that was in my study too with coaching that a coach is a vessel to deal with the emotions of stress, emotions, focus, coping. And then once they get through the feelings, 
they can move to problem focus coping and looking at options and exploring tools. But usually that came first, emotion focus coping, then problem focus coping. So yeah, so that's that's really important. Really yeah. important. Yep. I mean, that is very similar to therapy in which it's a safe space to unload, right? Because you can't call your best friend every day and unload on them. Yeah, right. Yes. Sometimes, yeah. yeah but but it's a safe space and then you have a, a person equipped to give you some tools back. Yeah. So that regularly scheduled therapy time and or the regularly scheduled coaching time where you can put that list together. Like a lot of my participants in my study talked of that, that they wrote this list and they could compartmentalize and put it down and say, I'm going to talk to my coach on Friday. I'll talk to them about this then. And that just helped them. They had a container for it and it was the coaching conversation. I think that is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a coach. I'm so biased. I recognize that. But it's, it is a transformational experience. If you get a coach, especially when you're dealing with stress and burnout, a coach that is calm, and I call it the non-anxious presence or the, the differentiated presence, and also a great listener and demonstrating empathy, it just can transform them, can help them so much. And then also equipped to give them some tools to practice. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Coaching has become really accepted in the business world. And I think that's wonderful. Mm. And I'm curious, like, are there differences in the kind of leaders who seek you out versus ones who don't? And is there anything instructive in that for listeners? Yeah, Maura, that's a great question. There is a difference. There's two things. There's a willingness to change and there's a commitment to the process. There, there's a willingness to open up and reflect and be self-aware. And then that was a big part of some of the outcomes from this study was they improved their self-awareness. I, I think that's really key. Mm -hmm. Those that maybe, the at least the ones that I work with, 
there are business outcomes, but there really is a sense of, I just need to become a better leader. I want to improve. I want to be better for my people. I know there's some things getting in my way, like, you know, how I handle my own anxiety, how I handle stress, how I show up with my team. And I know I'm not showing up right. Help me. How do I show up better? Because I set the tone. So how do you help me set a better tone? So those are some of the differences I see. I think the setting the tone piece is really important because, you know, when you're working for a burnt out leader, it can be so challenging. Mm. When you're working for an anxious leader, Mm. it's so challenging. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I went into coaching because I've worked with calm and clear and principled leaders and I've worked with anxious ones. (laughs) And that's a difference. You know, the environment matters so much to employee well-being. I always thought it was my fault that I'm burned out or that I'm stressed. (laughs) It's never just one thing. The environment matters greatly. And the leader sets that tone, that environment. As I'm thinking about, you know, what people tell me all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, a sense of, well, it's okay for leaders to do what they want. They can set boundaries. I just get more work on my plate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) And then I think a lot of leaders feel like I don't want to, I'm not going to get the lifeboat while everyone else goes down with the ship. Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. That leaders feel guilty. So can we talk about that? Like managing status and teams and hierarchy? Yeah, that's really good. The power dynamics of this are, are a big deal. Especially, I mean, when it comes to workload, right? So if I'm an executive, I need to, maybe do less to manage my work demands, but I just give it to the team and then I feel bad. That hap- that's a common concern. You know, I think you kind of have to look at it at multiple levels. You know, you look at from the business level, what are we trying to accomplish as a business? What's our vision? What are our values? What are our goals? Okay. And, and then from a team perspective, how do we ensure that the workload, there's some equity with the workload that we all carry it. And then at the individual level that we speak up about, okay, this is the workload that's okay. This is the workload that maybe isn't because it's, it has to be tackled there, but you do need to start at an enterprise level and you have to think about this. And I think the whole um, increase shareholder value piece is a big part of this problem. (laughs) Everything is about only increasing shareholder value. And I, I worry that that's sort of a systemic thing. I don't know how we get at that. It's important to make a profit, but what about employee well-being? What about right those things really matter. So you've got to think about that as well. I'm not sure I answer your question. This is a big one. I mean, real practically, one of my clients does what's called planned time off and they're real strategic about when they take time off, they spread the work that should be done so the person can truly disconnect. Instead of paid time off, it's planned time off. So that's a tactic. But All this stuff is systemic. So so it's really hard not to be part of the system. (laughs) Right. It is. It is. (laughs) What do we do? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. Well, then to this point, I want you to define leadership. Mm. Well, I'm, t- I'm a, also a faculty at Purdue. I'm teaching a leadership course this fall. And I stood in front of my undergrads and I said, every one of you is a leader because you all influence. Mm. 
And you influence through your attitude and your actions, your character, your conversation. So I consider leadership as influence, just influencing others. We influence how we post on social media. <sighs> big time. Yeah, big time. We influence through our, how we show up at work, our attitude. So that's how I define in, uh, leadership. It's influence. That's interesting, which makes it more important than ever mm. to, to treat your own stuff. Yes. And figure out better ways of working. Yes. Yes, because there is how you view yourself and there's how you are viewed. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you want to uh, be viewed? What's your reputation? I asked a client that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be viewed as a leader? There was a pretty good pause there after that question because I think it I think it caused him to face hmm I'm not sure about my reputation you know this is a big deal yeah. this is a big deal That's a really important question hmm. How do you define it Mora I define it as someone with the power and influence and ability hmm. to bring a group of people together mm. to work towards a shared goal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. I think that's well stated. And so influencing others to reach a shared goal, I think is, that's really good because there's got to be a direction. We've got to have a shared sort of what's, right. the, what's the shared fate. And all this stuff is funny because it sounds like, Oh, that's nice for them to say, but <laughs> they obviously don't work in corporate America right now, mm, mm. <laughs> you know, and I think also a leader's job is to protect and facilitate access for their team and to let their team be great. Mm. You know, a lot of leadership is about letting other people be great and it's about creating you know, redundancies in a way so that you're not the only one, but, mm -hmm. but that's also, that's hard. Yeah. So we talk about influence, setting the tone, but there is also this piece of right now there's a leader's job is to really care and to demonstrate empathy. I mean, cause we are in the second pandemic and it's burnout. Mm -hmm. It really is. One of the things that I think is really consequential to burnout and to how leadership has changed is the expectation that leaders now are always on digital. You know, I'm old enough to remember that the bosses I grew up with barely went on their computer. They had assistants. I was an assistant for years. It was my job to read email. Like, <laughs> you know, like right. you could never reach an executive directly. You had to go through the assistant. Now you just email them and they have their phone and they're expected by and large, to answer, right? Mm -hmm. So mm. so talk about what you advise clients to do about the added element. Now, I'm sure very, very senior executives have a much different relationship, but I don't know. I see executives on their phones all the time, oh, yeah. as we all are, and that is exhausting. Yeah. Don't you sometimes want to just throw it? Sometimes I just want to throw my phone. Like I want to throw it all. I just want to throw it. But you know, one of the things we haven't talked about more is the importance of not only physically leaving the office or work, but psychologically distancing ourselves from mm. it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that means you stop thinking about it and you stop engaging it. And there's got to be a sabbatical or rest from your 
your technology, some amount in a day. You know, so can you put it in another room and plug it in? Can you have off limits at the dinner table? Something, just a break to protect yourself because we've got to distance ourselves. So it's not just about stopping it. You've got to replace it with another activity. So connecting with your family, connecting with a friend, a hobby, work, a book, something. Even if it's 45 minutes, 30 minutes, we've got to, we've got to do it. And yeah, the expectations were always on, but can it wait an hour? But we get into habits. Like we forget we that it could wait an hour. It could wait an hour. Yeah. And it usually can. Very seldom is it a catastrophe. What is the role of the phone in burnout, do you think? Mm. Well, if we know that relentless job demands and you're ever present with your work with that device, then you are sort of perpetuating ongoing demands by choosing to pick up your phone. You're choosing to work in that moment. You're choosing to go back to the office, in essence, and perpetuating more demands, even though they may not be demands. So that's the individual choice, right? That's the individual factor. You haven't set a boundary or put a fence around your work. So that's what I see. I know I struggle with it. Gosh, I just like, why am I on this thing? Has my life become my device? As someone who's sort of, I don't have OCD, but I dance with it. It's like, I see it as checking behavior too. Mm, checking behavior. There's yeah. like real compulsion there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'll just check Slack just to see if anything's highlighted in black, even if I have nothing demanding right away. It's like just checking. Checking. Yeah. And it's so there. It's so accessible. It just screams for you, doesn't it? And just for me, it does. It just pick me up. Pick totally. Me up. Yeah. It's hard. But you do with habits, you've got to replace them. You can't just stop them. That's right. That's right. I want to get into your personal story a little bit, but I first I promised listeners that we would model a conversation around how to effectively tell your boss that you either know you're burnt out or you think you're burnt out. What should you even ask for? Yeah, that's really good. You know, and I think sort of the we're going to assume that there's a, let's call it a good relationship with your boss. We'll just say that. If it's not a great relationship, this may not apply, but I think you just go in and you are honest. You set a time in a office space or on a Zoom and you just walk in and you say, for the past six months, I've been doing two jobs. I know we've had this position posted for a while, but I can't continue at this pace and I'm emotionally exhausted and I'm finding that I'm not as effective as I once was when you first hired me two years ago. So I wanted you to know that I'm exhausted and I need help. I want to ask you, when will we be getting this person to take this role and or can you help me take off some of this work for the next 90 days, something like that? And also, I want to just say more you know, it's okay to cry at work. Is it really? Is it? Can it be okay? Why is it not? Why is it not? I think it's okay for white men to cry at work. I don't, I think it's really, really challenging for a lot of other people who face more bias for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't know. That's what I think. I'm with you on that. Sure. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying I think it should be okay. 
because it's it's vulnerable. Of course, it's, it should it's be okay. honest, right? Exactly. So I'm I'm saying to your listeners, like if you're sort of protecting yourself from that, you're gonna it may hinder your conversation. So if you can give yourself in assuming the good relationship with your boss, right, that you feel that comfort, right. So I'm just gonna suggest that. And then I think just asking for what it is you need, if you can, in that conversation too. Like, I need this. Um, I need a break. I need to remove some of this work from my plate. Can I stop doing the second job? Like, what's the consequence to that? <laughs> you know, and I'm assuming this person's doing two jobs. That's happening a ton, by the way. I feel like I keep hearing that in my conversations. Oh, 100%. I yeah. mean, are you too? You've heard, yeah. heard this? Yeah. yeah. What's, what's up with that? Shareholder <laughs> value. Shareholder value. There we go. Okay. Yes. I want to do it part two with a boss who is okay. biased towards, Ooh. well, when I was your age, I would have killed for the opportunities or, or has another kind of bias. Like, you know, I hear this a lot from older generations that Gen Z doesn't want to work. Millennials don't, you just don't want to work. You just don't know what work is like. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, I'm completely out of empathy because if you're working two jobs, I'm working four jobs Mm -hmm. and I'm not getting any help from up top. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good one. Right. So I think with that, you have to think about, okay, what it, what is your ideal outcome and your like baseline got to have outcome of the conversation? Yeah. So with that one, it could be that you would need to bring some data. You need a business case for your burnout. If this is a more seasoned exact, like, so speak their love language. <laughs> yes. I always tell that to people. <laughs> speak their love if language. their love language is data, <laughs> speak data if their yeah. love language is like tony robbins <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yes of course i love it yes yeah, so think about who it is you're speaking with right like okay yeah. uh they may not take it well they may be that biased person so maybe it's a one pager okay so you can track your hours the job that you were hired to do the job you are doing the two jobs you are doing the outcomes you've created and then if they need data, take the Maslach burnout inventory and show them your score. It's like at the last page, you can just show them the graph. High emotional mm-hmm. exhaustion, high cynicism, and lack of efficacy. Okay, so you can show them that you're burned out. Or at the very least, you may just be overextended, and that still counts. But you can then say, okay, here's what I need, and these will be the results and the consequences of what I'm letting go of. So create the business case. I think that could be really good if you're running into a boss that, you know, will be biased and then you may need to discern and not cry in that situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it sounds, it's a lot of work no matter what for a a burnt out person, but I think for a lot of us, it just is a lot of work to get what we need at work. It is. It's, it is. And just that in itself is exhausting. Like thinking of having the conversation is stressful. So it's making it worse. As we close out, I do want to touch on your story. I always think it's really instructive for listeners to hear the story behind the person when it comes to mental health and why we do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. You've mentioned ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. You've mentioned growing up with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so diagnosed at age five, saw a couple psychiatrists, was on Ridlin for a season. I think it shut me down pretty good as a kid. But I think then in middle school, I had an experience. I was walking down 
the hallway with some classmates and a, a teacher grabbed me by the arm and took me to the hallway and slammed me against the wall. And my books fell. I started crying. My glasses fell off. I had these plastic glasses. I remember picking them up. And then he sort of dragged me to the um, front office. I was crying. I was just wailing. And so when you talk about therapy, Maura, uh, in therapy, you create a commitment, I believe. All of us have commitments. But one of the commitments I created, actually I created three from that experience. And one of them was, I'll never be surprised. I have to be perfect. And I'll never let anybody down. And these are three absolutely impossible commitments. But I'll tell you, whenever I sense that I'm not perfect, I can feel the breath of that teacher. My hair on the back of my neck raises, I start to sweat, and my face turns red. Just two weeks ago, I, I have a new uh, position, I told you, as a faculty. And I didn't know the answer in a meeting. And I felt the breath. I was caught off guard. It's really intense. So my therapist has helped me with, okay, so when you break a commitment, you know, you've got to practice some deep breathing. And then he gave me this phrase. He said, um, there's no consequence now. There's no catastrophe now. Because I worry that there's somebody coming from behind me. So that was one of them. The other adverse experience was the teacher in that same school that said, you'll never amount to anything, Chris. You're a loser. You know, so that I consider that emotional abuse and shame, and that happened in a classroom. So that happened. So there's the physical and the emotional. So yeah, so all of that creates these commitments. And then I have had such a great benefit with, with therapy. It's helped me kind of navigate these things. And then I've also, I've experienced the benefit of it. And then the coaching has just, it's sort of informed by all these experiences, and I see the benefit of these one-to-one -one conversations and helping, and that's why I do what I do, because I want to see leaders flourish and succeed. And coaching, I think, is a part of that. Therapy is certainly a part of that. All the things we've just talked about is a part of that. But yeah, so that's that's a big part of my story. So it's I am not the ADHD. I'm not the adverse childhood experiences, but they've certainly informed how I lead and how I view leaders. How you view authority figures, uh, How right? I view authority figures. Yes, <laughs> right. So these are teachers that had the great opportunity to really influence me to a goal like we talked about. And they, they didn't. And leaders in corporate have a great opportunity to influence others to flourish. And they are. Some are and some aren't. And some of them aren't flourishing themselves. Many aren't. But I've also had teachers that were inspiring and knew me and saw something more in me. My teacher and high school. Mrs. Ford saw something more in me. She knew me and expected more from me. And she saw me as a person, not as a problem to be solved and saw something great in me. So I'm grateful for that. And now you're a teacher. Now I'm a teacher. Now I'm a coach. Yeah. So I just appreciate the space to share that. I thank you for asking about that experience because I think that has definitely brought me to coaching today and why I do what I do. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. That's it for today. 
Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends. I would love you to leave a review because they really matter in helping the show get found. You could also follow us or subscribe. If you have a question for me or you want to submit an idea for the show, find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow me, message me, I promise I'll write back, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the Anxious Achiever world. Thanks for listening.